Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. to episode 126 of the Chills of Will podcast. I'm here with Kevin Owens. This is a pleasure to speak to him, and here's a little bit about him. He's a veteran of overseas professional basketball, a current teacher and basketball coach. Gotta love the teachers and the basketball coaches. <laughs> He's an entrepreneur, excuse me, entrepreneur and founder of Overseas Famous LLC, which is a multimedia platform created to give athletes playing abroad a voice. These stories provide a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on with overseas sports. His 2021 book is called Overseas Famous. While he had the name first, he is now the second most popular Kevin Owens in the world. I mean, that's that's arguable, right? I mean, it's all yeah. eye, eye the beholder. It is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, my mom definitely thinks I'm the best Kevin go. Owens out there. But, I mean, I'm pretty sure the rest of the world kind of favors the rest. It's funny. There's, like, multiple times when I talk. And people are like, oh, Kevin Owens, like, and they're like, I've heard that name before. And they're like, you must have played. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you heard it from me. And then they uh, realize probably a month later, they're like, oh, that's where I heard it from. That's that tall guy at Home Depot. <laughs> it's, a great, it's great to have you. Obviously, I love talking, talking hoops. I'm, I'm a, I would say reformed, but I hope to get back into it. But I'm a, I've been a basketball coach for many years and a teacher as well. And, nice. uh, you know. Definitely did not have as much success as you on the court, but played a little bit. And uh, look forward to talking some X's and O's, but just about the whole experience. Awesome. Thanks again for, for being good. on here. Yeah. Of course. Let me ask you kind of a weirdest question. And yeah. Being, so I was, a, I was a bench warmer for the most part as a varsity player. But, man, I was hydrated, you know. And I would, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd have that, the, the meal. I mean, I was – I was mistaken for a while. I thought like, you know, oh, carb loading includes like, oh, a DiGiorno's pizza is fine. It has a lot of carbs. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, I would do the whole, you know, three to four hours before eat this many, you know, grams of calories or whatever. And, you know, this and that with the proteins. Because I didn't play, you know, so I'd be on the edge of the bench, literally and figuratively. Right. And sometimes I have to use the restroom. Why do we never see players? And obviously the camera's not on the bench at all times. And obviously there's half times and stops, but are you tell me there's never like one time there's never been a player like in the middle of the game. It's like, shoot, I, I literally can't play anymore. I have to go to the bathroom. You know, yeah. I know, I know obviously when you, when you run around and all that, you don't have to go, but um, yeah. you know, again, a weird question, but like, what, what's up with that? No, with that? no, I think, um, you know, like I used to pee before, like I had a routine. So okay, I would I, like, yes. you know, drink a, drink a ton uh, but i also sweat a lot so like i feel like a lot of the fluids that i was in taking were just sweat out sure uh so i would you know i would have a pee break before the game i'd be like all right let's clear my system same thing i'd like poop break but like it's just <laughs> i would just try to clear my system so i didn't have anything in my uh you know it like anything before i actually like went out there 
So I would just like clear it. And then, you know, occasionally you have the the situation where I'd be like, all right, I have to run back. But it's weird because it never happened that much. But I've had teammates there to like run back to the locker room in the middle of the game. Okay. They'll get subbed out and they just run back and do their business. But it's funny because it's just it's you don't you won't even notice it because everyone's watching the game. So yeah. someone runs back. It's like you have no idea. They could be going back because they hurt their ankle. They could sure. be getting, you know, changing something, changing their yeah. shoes. So people always go back. So like it just guys would flip back there when they had to. But I never really I feel like I was on a good schedule that I just never had that situation where it's like, you know, when I I, I would sweat so much that by the end of the game, I would have to like replenish my system. And I probably wouldn't right. pee again until like late at night because I was just sweat had sweat so much that like everything was just out of me. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. You know, for those who are listening, you know, keep listening. You know, it's not going to be all like this. I just, <laughs> you know, I, had, I had these, I had these burning questions. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I totally get the sweat thing, and you explain it very well. I just, I'm just, you know, that yeah. one time, one time, you know, like I don't know, Jason Tatum or something like that. It's like, I, you know, just cannot, cannot play anymore. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> After all these years, you think it happened one time? I appreciate. And that. I feel I, like I, yeah, I, yeah, it's, yeah probably just sub him out and just be. He'd run over to the bench, be like, I gotta go. They'd be like, okay. all right, sub. And then he just takes off. It's probably uh, happened. I'm sure it's happened probably like a ton of times. It could happen in the NBA Finals. I'm going to be staring at the bench just making sure that like <laughs> no one's going on a poop break. And <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if I'm ruining the way that you watch the game now. I apologize. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, so you talked about your routine. And I, I get that. Like I said, I was never a great player. But, man, you have that routine just down. And you mentioned just what I, I think objectively is the greatest uh, warm-up song ever, which is tell us a little bit about the Busta Rhymes. Oh man. Uh, so it's weird. Cause I still listen to that. Every, like it's on my playlist when I work out Yeah. and uh, I still listen to it. I don't know. It's just, it was like, a, it started in college. That song just like, it, it, it was first off Buster Rhymes is incredible. Like he speaks so yeah. fast and it's just, yeah. it's like he, he, he enunciates so well. He's such a pro, like great speaker. Um, and he's just such a great rapper. And on top of that, that beat is like ridiculous. So it just kind of would hit me. And like you'd like kind of nod your head and I'd start kind of like, you know, bobbing up and down, just being like, all right, like this is this is it. Like we're gonna go, yeah. we're gonna go do this. And it was just like a, a very like a tough, you had to play tough. Like it I would oh. remind me, like you gotta go out and you gotta get like breaking like you gotta just go out and just give everything you have and it was mm. just a song that spoke to me before i played so i listened to it all the time because that was that would hype me up like crazy <laughs> so totally so i saw him at a concert maybe 10 years ago he oh. wasn't he wasn't the main guy I, well he wasn't the main guy he was just in the crowd and he was swole yeah oh he's he's jack he's a big dude <laughs> man he really is he was he really in is. he was involved in that whole dave Chappelle thing when the guy attacked and then like the oh, security yeah. beat him but like a lot of he like what I think he went in the back. He probably got his lick because he's oh, he's man. a strong dude, and yeah. like he he didn't like that, so he probably got a shot in or two. I mean, oh, like, man. You, when you do something like that, you just you're just opening yourself up to get your ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. And if you if you haven't, if you heard "Tear the Roof Off," Buster Rhymes. Yeah, yeah, I that, love it. That that's another one that'll just get you hyped, right? I mean, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh. There's a lot, like his whole catalog. I, it's just, it's great. I'm, I'm all about it. All right, let's see if you get this reference. Would you celebrate his whole catalog? Oh yeah, I would 100% celebrate it. Oh, that's where I was going, and I was like, <laughs> in my mind, I'm just like, oh man, I'm, I'm throwing some, uh, no, some 2,000 no. comedies out there. Celebrate uh, his whole catalog. I, 
I would say that's probably not that's probably 1990s, but that's all right. I think it's like 1990. yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's still it's still it's still <laughs> <laughs> it still applies. No, but uh, I remember, man, JV year, Cordova High School. You know this idea of how you know that music's bumping before the game. We were this is our JV year. The music was bumping. You know, rival crowd, and you felt like you could just jump through the roof, right? Yeah, it, I mean it. That's just like how I remember. And it's funny because they don't do it as much. Like high school teams don't do it as much now. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, like that was the thing. You're, it was like yes. your first day of practice, like after the teams are, and you're like announced the captain. That was the thing that we used to like me and the other two captains. We were like, it was the first item of business. Like, what are we coming out to? <laughs> what, right. what song are we going to, yeah. are we going to put out? Like, I remember my brother, uh, his school, he came out to enter Sandman Ooh. and it was a good atmosphere because the crowd was like really packed and they used to kind of like, it was like the lights would dim and all of a sudden like, yes. it was just like that would start going and it would, they would come out. I was like, that fires you up. Cause I think mm-hmm. there's something to that music definitely, uh, you know, coincides with basketball. And I think when you have that hype, you're going to need that. Like most guys just need that hype to kind of yeah. get it. You know, you're playing all these games, even in high school, you're playing a ton of games. So it's great to kind of have that hype music be like no, doubt. It's no doubt about it man so man so you know you talked about how you wrote about in your book how you started to do a blog i think mainly like when you're in estonia mm-hmm. you know which obviously led to the book and all that i want to go way back though so like just as a kid i mean i don't want to put words in your mouth like were you like a sports illustrated kid like oh were, yeah you know were you were you reading like sports sports page like x's nose were you reading like, Absolutely. like yeah talk about that we later. were i wasn't really an excellent x's and o's i was more just like i loved watching basketball like that was our thing we used to watch uh like you know nba uh inside stuff like all yeah. those different things i'd be, i'd uh basketball uh all these things with like basketball uh bloopers and things like that and it was oh yeah uh, and uh it was it was a pretty it was a really cool experience to kind of have that um have that like nba basketball bloopers and see all these videos i used to read sports illustrated yep. we had a subscription it was all these different things that we um sports illustrated for kids like i read all of it that was like my big thing i was like a huge sports guy and we used to watch the nba all the time and i just it was we used to watch baseball and stuff but the nba was always my favorite yeah are we, ta- are we talking like frank Layden, like those videos oh yeah the biggest one we watched like they used to have it was like Kareem was still playing. Hmm. Like I, the, all the dream team, like the, it just, I was, I was all into all that. Bill Lambeer, I remember him on the <laughs> cover of Sports Illustrated and he was just like complaining about a foul. I remember I had that, uh, had that like in my, in my room. And I remember that it was like so important to me. Oh yeah, definitely. Who were your fandoms? I mean, were you a six seventy sixers fan? Like were you a Barkley guy? Yeah, I definitely, uh, I was all about, I love Barkley. It was weird because I, I used to just watch, like, the Sixers stunk. So when yeah, I had, that's right. like, we were, it was, like, when I really started watching, it was probably, like, in the, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the Sixers were so bad then. I used to watch them, and there was <laughs> Barkley I used to like. I just got his autograph, but I really liked, I was all about the, I didn't like the Bulls, but I liked mm-hmm. Dennis Rodman a lot. Yes. I always like kind of gravitated towards him. He was kind of my guy. Like I just liked his toughness. Um, so I used to watch, you know, just 
I used to watch like the stars. Like I was never, I was like a Sixers fan, but I used to watch the stars because it was yeah. just, I would watch every game on, cause they had the game on Sunday mornings and things like that. And that mm. was like an awesome experience. So I think that was like my big thing of just watching those stars. That makes, that makes sense. Were you, I mean, were, what were you reading? Like, were you into like a lot of those, uh, you know, like biographies, like sports biographies, like you remember anything that stood out? Yeah, I think in terms of like books, it was, it, this is going to sound crazy, but I didn't like to read as a kid. I do right. now, <laughs> but I didn't, I wasn't like a big reader. Like I didn't really enjoy it. I thought it was like, I had to read for school. I got into, um, there was like a few times when I was like, I remember I got super into mythology because mm-hmm. my teacher in high school was a mythology, mythology teacher and he like was such a good teacher he explained it and that's when I started reading more like I started getting into you know I read the Odyssey things like that but mm-hmm. you were reading other things as well and it was just uh that's what like really started my my love for reading and then when I went to college I had great professors who you know put me on to different books and that's when I really started reading more um and then I just I think like there was books that I saw uh, by athletes and I, or by coaches and I was just mm-hmm. like being super into those as well. And that was just kind of how my, you know, reading kind of came to be. But yeah, I was definitely more of a sports reader um, in terms of like what I read now and what I was kind of reading back then. It was Sports Illustrated, but it was definitely yeah. more sports related. I was never, I, occasionally I'd pick up a random book, but like people have like books and they're reading like these mysteries and stuff and i was like Ugh. I, was like, I would like to read yeah I'll give me jordan <laughs> like talking uh-huh. talking trash i'm into that right did you ever get a chance to read jordan rules i did not i never read that but i've read it's weird because the, the a lot of the stories i liked were like the underdog kind of stories like yeah. the underdog guys so i used yeah. to think like reading something from like kobe and and like all about them was like ridiculous because I was like, well, they're the stars. Uh-huh. And I always wanted to read about the guys that weren't the stars, the guys that were, you know, kind of like me, that were uh, not, you know, big time athletes, but they were the guys that were on the fringe. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, you know, what, what you're reading today, like who are some of the the sports sports writers or just writers in general that you've really, that you're really enjoying, like, you know, contemporary could be relative, could be the last five, 10, 15 years. So there's a, there's a, few guys um that that i do like their stuff a lot like paul shirley i oh, really yeah. like he's he's real good i've really gotten into his stuff and that's like helped me kind of i've talked i've conversations with him nice um and stuff when i was kind of like I, when i finished my book i kind of you know read through his and i was like oh well, i should put this i should put this this is mm-hmm. a good idea uh so he really was a good one um i'm reading a lot of stuff about you know i'm I, i'm more into humor Mm-hmm. Um, I like the humor aspect of it. I like things that make me laugh. So uh, there's there's different guys like Dave Ruder. He's he wrote um, some some books about the Phillies, uh, the Sixers. He's also writing a wrestling book, but it's like more the underdog characters of like Sixers past and the Phillies past. So I've been reading those. And, like they're hilarious mm-hmm. and they're fun and they bring me back to the. I think it all goes back to like I want to go back to the eighties. So like yeah. everything I read kind of brings me back to that time period of like my childhood. So anytime I can relive that, that's like the kind of book that I like. Huh. 
Oh man, yeah, great, great references. Paul Shirley, he had some great stuff in the ESPN days and stuff. Oh yeah, good reminder. You you talked about in the book. You talked about Professor uh, Professor Murano who. Mm-hmm inspired you and i wonder in which ways he inspired you so uh professor morano was my journalism teacher um he was my college professor he was a journalism professor he was also a huge fan of the basketball team so i would not only would i see him in class but then he would come to the games and i'd see him at the games and he was just a big fan but i was a big fan of his um because he taught uh so many different he taught in such a unique way and uh just really taught me that, you know, how to express myself, how to, I was like a very introverted person. So I was not like an extrovert. I kind of kept to myself and he kind of taught me how to like take those ideas that I had and start expressing them and putting them on paper. I've always liked to write, but I've always been quiet about my writing. Um, He was the first one who, who was just like, no, you got something like you need to, these people need to see these. So he had me sign up for the school newspaper which is an odd thing considering like I was in the newspaper for like yeah. articles about me playing, yeah. but then I would write like an op-ed or I would write like a little piece about something else going on. So he, it was, it was one of those things where I was like, well, I'm, I'm the star. You kind of have that mindset, like I'm the star, but then you're like, well, I guess this is pretty cool because now I'm also have, you know, an article here. Uh-huh. So he really showed me how to open up my mind and, and not be like be willing to take a chance with my writing and put it out there and see what people think. So he was instrumental in like this book because I ne- if I I never would have written it if he didn't have that influence. Oh, that's cool. Did did he has he had a chance to read the book? Yeah, he loved it. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, he was. I yeah, we he read it. I sent him a copy. He's uh, he enjoyed it. So, and he's also an, uh, an author as well. He's written like a whole, he has this whole eco, uh, ecological series okay. uh, with like, you know, fiction series, but it's a lot about the ecological, uh, what's going on in the ecology of the, the ocean and things like that. So it's pretty cool. Dang. Oh, man. Um, you know, being that you, you know, traveled the world in so many ways, like, was that like some, was that like a, did storytelling come naturally? Did storytelling come from a lot of those, like, just hanging out, get-togethers? Is that something also just through your family? Like, just the idea of telling yeah, my, stories. Yeah, I think we, we as a family, would sit around at dinners, and we always had that kind of conversation. And that was something that we, we would try to one-up each other. I think, you know, coming from a family, uh, you know, two brothers, sister, you know, it's it was you had that opportunity to really talk and and it was fun like we would just try to like make each other laugh the whole time so we tell these ridiculous stories and try mm-hmm. to make people laugh and i think they were instrumental in the book because you know we were all involved in those stories so that was kind of like the fun thing of having mm-hmm. all these different things take place but i think uh yeah we definitely had a fun fun dinner table where we would laugh and tell all these different stories i think that helped with my humor and things like that yeah Oh, definitely, man. I mean, let's get into the book. Uh, so cool. You're able, you dedicated the book to your daughter, right? Yep. My daughter, yeah. Olivia. Yeah. That's very cool. You said she's balling these days. She is balling. So she, uh, it's like one of those things where I didn't really, she was tall. She was athletic, but 
but she was kind of like she's a girly girl like mm. she likes she's like more into you know being a girl than um like being an athlete and she's started to kind of like have that athletic side of her but she still has her girly side mm. so she's like a really good combination because now she like wants to go out and shoot and she wants to play and she wants to like w- wants to improve but at the same time she'll also be like all right as soon as she's done she's like i'm gonna put on a dress and you know like do gymnastics it's, it's just she's just she's just a girly girl like she mm-hmm. wants her hair to look nice she wants to look pretty but at the same time she wants to go out there and and ball and i think like that getting that that mindset where she she wants to do it on her own is has been incredible because now i don't even say anything like i yeah. am there yeah. and she's just like i want to go play I'm like all right nice nice awesome how are her post moves eh, i yeah. wouldn't say i would it's like she's it's weird because I think everyone wants to be a guard now. She mm. can, she, so her mom played college basketball too. So oh, okay. She's, she was, she's five, seven and her, you know, her mom was a shooter and Liv has like my body, but has her like shooting, like she okay. can, she can shoot the ball. And nice. like, even she, she played in her like first team this year, like, you know, traveling team and like went around and they went to the championship and like people like they made a sign. I remember the sign of like the the, uh, the older sisters of the girls made the sign and live with the shooter. Said live the shooter, and I was like, <laughs> okay, like she's getting recognized for shooting. Yeah, uh, she's starting to rebound. She's got that toughness, but she definitely can shoot the ball. So that's like a. I'm hoping she has my toughness, my rebounding, my inside skills, but she can just like shoot the ball like her mom. <laughs> Heck yeah! Heck yeah! Heck yeah! <laughs> the uh, the prologue throws you right into, it and it's like, whoa, okay um you I assume, oh, yeah. I assume you saw the last dance the the bulls one yeah uh-huh and what the the story goes that you know i think jordan kind of walked in maybe on friends with women or some of the teammates with women and he supposedly yep. you know, supposedly said no and walked away or stepped away and people, yeah people were saying come on but who knows if that were true or not but you same thing happened to you this was like at uh this was the one for the d-league camp is that right so it was it was an exposure camp it was just an overseas yeah. exposure camp yeah. Right, and um, so like the whole entire when you sign up for these, it's your agent kind of signs you up. So your agent sends down like, you know, a bunch of guys and then the agents he collaborates with send down a bunch of guys. So it's like these exposure camps are like put on pretty much by the agencies mm-hmm. and they'll send, you know, 50 to 100 of their guys uh, down. So there's like 100 guys there. And what happens is you're just put up in a hotel now the hotel's not that big um so everyone kind of shares a room like college days so you go it's cheaper you're not paying you pay a flat rate but you share a room so i never ended up going to my room i was just like kind of chilled at the gym because i like went there earlier they weren't ready for check-in i was like you know what i'm just gonna stay at the at the place i like ate my car i was like whatever i'll just i'll just chill and um i went back late at night and never having checked in i'm assuming that the guy just was like sweet free room Mm. my roommate never showed up i'm like i got this place so i'm gonna go wild in here and that's what he did so but i walked in i was like oh my god like what i and it was like just a, a so many emotions i was like what in the world is happening and you're tired but it's like so comical like i honestly I was like freaked out and so 
weird because I'm so I was like so awkward, but at the same time it was like hilarious. Like I laughed about it. I'm like I can't believe this is happening. So yeah, I just like walked in. I'm like, all right, I guess this is not where I'm sleeping tonight, and hopped out and uh, slept in my car. And that was crazy. Like I was trying to contort my body, and I was like, I'm gonna have to sleep in the bed of my truck. And I, yeah. so I slept in the bed of my truck the first night. And I remember just it was like one of those things where it just it really it did set off. And I think that story, it was funny when I was originally wrote the book, that story was in the exposure camp chapter. Yeah. And a friend of mine read it and was like, my friend Justin was like, you need to put that in the beginning. He's like, that story's wild. He's like, that not that like what started your whole career? I was like, yeah. He's like, that should be like, that's the starting point. Like you should start with that and be like, this is how yeah. my pro career started. And I'm like, it's very true. <laughs> so I changed it. And I think it was, it was good because you want to grab that audience attention yeah good good call by you and your buddy justin right man yeah man. um yes like you said so you, you you bring that back later on i mean you talk about the, the exposure camp the the first chapter is well and i was gonna say sorry you also played really well that day though didn't you yeah so i had um i got dunked on initially it which happens. is it happens and it's, it's funny because i've been dunked on many times oh, like uh yeah i had the kobe we played in the, this thing called the Sunny Hill League. Yeah. Sunny Hill, there is like a bunch of guys in Philly and uh, there's different teams. So I ended up playing up for my brother's team. And uh, when I did, I was with this whole Sunny Hill organization and they were playing like the Sunny Hill All-Stars. And it's just like, you know, these meaningless summer league games that you just hmm. kind of show up to and you play, you throw on a jersey. I remember you, you would get changed in the locker room uh, like real quick and you would just like they would give you a jersey when you got there. So you would just throw on the jersey and then take it off at the end and give it back to them and wash it. So it was that old school kind of way of uh, going about it. So I, you know, show up and, and play. And I was young. And I was a sophomore. I was kind of, you know, getting taller. I was not really great yet. My brother was a lot better. He was obviously a visual prospect. Hmm. So I was just kind of thrown out there occasionally. And I just got, you know, the dude came down, dunked on me hard. And I was like, that was wild. And I just kind of like, you know, went about my day and went home. And then it was not till like a few weeks later, they were just like, oh, by the way, like, see the guy who's about to get drafted right now? That's the guy who dunked on you. And like my brother got dunked on as well. So I was like, it was kind of both of us. And we were like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I can't believe that was the guy. So it was fun kind of having that. Like, I didn't remember it much at the time. I remember getting dunked on, but I didn't really like remember yeah. the face or anything. I just, then when it was like wow kobe dunked on me so yeah you get dunked on and uh so that was the exposure camp i got dunked on i think it was like a frustrating thing yeah uh, because it's your first experience and uh, i was trying to give it my all and it was like an embarrassing thing so i get embarrassed easily so i was like Mm -hmm. this isn't good and i think once i kind of you know the guy came up to me he was like yo he's like that was took a lot of guts to do that Hmm. you're gonna be good and i was like oh okay and I just went out there and was just like, well, I'm going to continue jumping. And when I did, yes, I was blocking people or dunking on people. So I was like, all right. So I guess it goes both ways. <laughs> so yeah. I think it was just that confidence to go out there and be like, get over yourself. So you're right. going to be embarrassed. You're going to be embarrassed a lot. Just get over it and go play. That's pretty cool. What if, what if you were Frederick Weiss, though, on, on Vince Carter? Would you, would you have been able to? Maybe not that one. That, Maybe not. that one's tough. Because, and it's it's tough too when you start getting into like this day and age 
would be way hard. Like, I don't even know how like the mindset works because uh, I'm thinking like some of these guys, like everything's on film. Yes. Like everything's on film. So yeah. you can't get away and it's on the internet. So like right. some kid like me who gets dunked on, suddenly it's all over the internet and it's uh, on every single, like ESPN's picking up and you're like, how in the world? Like back then you get dunked on and it was just like pretty much no one knew, knew about it. Yeah. You, just, you were the only yeah. one. Uh, but now it's tough because you you're put you got put out there early and you yeah. have to kind of overcome that. So I think that's tough. And I think you know, with Vince Carter, it was a it was a tough. I think that one. It's it, this is going to sound weird, but it's <laughs> to me it wasn't as bad as like even just like dunks from this year where uh, huh. who's the like John ja Morant going down the lane oh, like those yeah, dunks because yeah, yeah. guys challenged him. Like Vince sure. Carter, the dude just stood there and he just mm-hmm. jumped over him. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's, to me, if the guy challenged him and got dunked on, that's okay. worse because you <laughs> made an effort. He just kind of was just standing there and it was like a prop. <laughs> he just happened to be the prop. So I think the, yeah. that dunk was not as bad as, you know, even the guys who got dunked on this postseason. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. The first chapter is about how you were, you know, back in the days of the newspaper, right? You were, uh, you went out like you were, you went out to the driveway, like you were Tony Soprano, right? Looking for that newspaper mm-hmm. and yep. uh, looking for what was it? The first three teams of all South Jersey. Yeah. I still, I don't think I wrote about it and I still don't think I'm over it uh, because that, huh. that like pissed, to, to this day, I'm pissed off about that because I think, you know, when you look at everything, it's like, we had a very talented crop, but I feel like because, I played at Canton Catholic because of the style that we played in. Mm-hmm. They were like reluctant to give it to me. And I was just like, and I also got hurt mm-hmm. um, for a few games my senior year. I like sprained my ankle pretty good. But so I have like a picture. We were just going through pictures of my family's house the other day. And there's a picture of me on crutches going out and getting my McDonald's All-American oh. nomination award. And I'm just like, I can't believe that like I get nominated for this team but like I can't even get like on the all-south jersey so I think right. there's a lot of it's, it's a lot of like nonsense so I but that wouldn't made me mad so I remember going out picking up the paper and just thinking that like I wanted that legacy and that mm. was something that I wanted I wanted and even now it stinks because there's guys like I'll go to Camden Catholic I coach there and I I, I do mm. stuff there and um you know it's, it's my home it's always been but it's like funny, like my daughter will look at the wall, my name's not on there. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, it's tough because I didn't do And I look at it as like, okay, points wise, I just didn't play enough. Rebounds wise, mm-hmm. I didn't play enough. But that, like, that was something I felt like I earned and it wasn't there. So I was like, it's frustrating when I walk with my daughter and look and there's nothing there. So I mm-hmm. de- definitely there's still some bitterness. But yeah, they, uh, they chose other people there like nah you weren't good enough i was like all right so mm-hmm. i had to prove them wrong i ended up when you look back and you're like okay from the from that area who you know what players became successful and i was definitely you know one of those top players out of that area for that year so i think uh i ended up earning it just post post career uh, i don't know maybe we can do a petition to like retroactively change that team what do you think yeah i would be all about that let's yeah let's put it together <laughs> Dear Courier Post, even though I don't even think they're a thing anymore, they probably went under. Oh, shoot. No coincidence, yeah. right? Shoot, they didn't put you exactly. Yeah, no. I don't believe Seriously. in karma. I don't believe in karma. So, no. exactly. Uh. Karma, karma definitely worked on them. 
talking with a lot of my friends about like the like the euphemisms that are often used like in in especially in basketball you know he's a lunch pail guy he's this and that mm-hmm. so and i i've probably been called that as a you know decent player not a great player you were a very good player and but you, you talked about how you were called coachable which, yeah which is a really good thing but you kind of thought like ah, mm-hmm. man, I, I like something you know different than that but that's what i mean besides the fact that obviously you're really talented you were coachable and that probably mm-hmm. led you through a lot of your career, right? Yeah. I think uh, that was something I, I always would wanted to, I guess like in my whole life, I'm a people pleaser. Like I want to make sure mm. make people happy, but I think coaching wise, that was something that if the coach said it, like I wasn't arguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, I honestly, I, I was lucky enough to have really good coaches. And I yeah. think that's something that makes you more coachable when you have coaches sure. that know what they're doing. So you talked about some of the recruiting process. And first of all, I don't know, maybe it's a national chain, but I was like, oh man, you referenced Cluck U. Was that, was that at my alma mater of Santa Clara University? I don't know if you remember. Yeah, Cluck U was, was a staple. I think like Mammoth, we, uh, that was like the kind of thing. I went to Mammoth and they had the Cluck U. Okay. And that was like my first experience at college. Like we ordered <laughs> Cluck U. Like I think that was like kind of get the recruits. You're like, oh, let's go to Cluck U. And it was just like a perfect place uh it's funny i went up to mammoth like every time i'm in that area i'm just like what am i what am I? like we went up i played we played in the uh in uh the playoffs this year for my the high school team that i coached okay. and when we were up there we were right by cluck you and i was like yep yeah. I was like, <laughs> it's such a mess because when you drive home you're driving home with like this mess of food but i'm like whatever i don't care it's worth it <laughs> I mean, you make the, you make the point that, you know, I mean, it's been made before, but you, but it's like, oh man, that makes a lot of sense. Just like, it's pretty much just kids making these decisions that in some ways yeah. the rest of their lives. Right. And you talk think, about, go ahead. No, I think that's, it's, it's a tough thing, which is why, you know, I've had many conversations uh, with guys about the transfer portal portal and mm. things like that, because I do think to, to go in and have this, have this decision from when you're a 16 year old to 17 year old kid define what the rest of your life is going to be like is it's a tough thing i mean it's it's tough to think that as a young child and especially like i was blessed in terms of like i had uh my parents both were you know my mom was a college athlete my dad was a college athlete my mom swam my dad played baseball um and basketball um then you had my brother went through this experience two years earlier so i was very like we were like acclimated to the whole process and we knew, so they knew what to look for. They knew what to check on. They knew what boxes to, you know, check. And I think when you're not in that situation, it's really tough. So when people get mad and they're just like, Oh, the transfer portals becoming like making college a joke. And I get it from the coach's standpoint, Hmm. but at the same time, like every, from the athlete standpoint, every athlete is promised something when they go to college, they're promised playing time, they're promised this, those promises don't always end up happening so yes there are promises made for both sides but the before the transfer portal really became a thing the only one that was actually held accountable was the athlete for their decision like it wasn't the the coach was able to be like ah you know we're gonna let's they kind of force transfer you out or things like that i think it's just it was a situation where now the athletes are kind of having the power to be like listen i want to go where i want to go because mm-hmm. i made this decision without anyone's help like no one was there to guide me. and i yeah. think that's something that when you look at how 
this is going. I actually like this. Um, and I love college basketball too, but I think, you know, college basketball survive. Um, you know, you might, you might, and I, that it's, that's why you always bet. Listen, if anything, this will force people to bet on, on a small town or a smaller university in the NCAA tournament hmm. that has playing four or five seniors and they've all played together and won together before, like a, like a school, like Bryant, things like that. Hmm. Bet on those in the NCAA tournament because those guys are going to be going against guys that are transferring in and the shuffling and the coaching's different. It's, you know, it's, it's like overseas basketball. When you're changing constantly, it's harder to keep up. When you're in a system for a long time, you become yeah. more successful. So I think that's just yeah. something that, you know, bet on the small, on the underdogs in the NCAA tournament 2023. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you, you have the, you have the Catholic school background. It's kind of like, I, I see it as like, seems like kind of like a baptism and, and confirmation thing, right? Yeah. Like the, like the confirmation is yes, I'm an, I'm an adult now, or at least old enough to like realize I made the right decision or want to change my decision or. Yeah. You know? And I, yeah, like the, that, that upbringing, you kind of have that like, Hey, that you're, you're into what do they call it? A man, a woman. Sure. You're becoming an adult yeah. and things like that. And so you, you do, are, are like able to make your own decisions and things like that and that's like but it's like a crazy society like back then hmm. people were like arranged marriages and things like that <laughs> and now we have choice and when you have that free choice it's like you should be able to utilize it uh to, to best benefit your personal brand because i mean at the end of the day the only thing that's going to matter is like where you end up like what is hmm. your choice what is your brand what are you going to uh, except so while while I've always been a team guy I do understand having that selfish aspect sometimes yeah. to to try to better yourself because at the end of the day like I always look at it that's why I started you know overseas famous because I always looked at my career when I finished I didn't I was promised all these things for mom if I had you know not that they did anything wrong but mm -hmm. all these letters when I was getting recruited hey you'll have a job here you'll have a job here as soon mm -hmm. as you end and then I, you know, go play 10 years of pro basketball. And then I come back and there's been 10 years of athletes who have taken those jobs uh, and stuff. And now I'm like, okay, now what? Like, you're mm. kind of like the college kind of forgot about you overseas, definitely forgot about you. Mm. And now you're just kind of like, how do I go about this now? Which is why we started the business to kind of help uh, ex overseas athletes adjust and transition, find jobs, get uh, all the all the mental health and all the things they need so i think that's like a big reason because yeah. you know things and you're gonna have to kind of like you know, adapt and figure it all out wow the I, I was laughing when you were describing like those coaches coming in and they would just be so sweet and so nice at the house oh. and then they'd be you know it's quote unquote unthinkably difficult sprint gauntlets you know and they're calling <laughs> you they calling you this and that um what was what was some of like the toughest like running like suicides like you know i remember yeah. I mean, you were talking about some in some of the overseas things they'd say like you have to run for 24 hours straight or else uh-huh i don't know if, about that but i mean so what what were some of like the toughest like disciplinary running or just straight running or you know that you had to do so we had this thing called the ladder um oh, yeah it was it was you, you ran one sprint you had six seconds no five seconds you had to run one sprint, five seconds. And then it was three sprints in like I mean, 15 seconds and then mm -hmm. five and 30 and seven and 43 and mm -hmm. nine and 58 and then 11 in like a minute 10. And then uh, 
13 in like a minute 30 and then it went back down and you had to make all the time so every single time was like you had to be sprinting the whole time if you weren't so there was two groups first group would go second group would go as soon as the buzzer sounded the second group would go and they would just reset the clock so we did this which is like horrifying it's really difficult it's you have to be sprinting as fast as you can well the year that i got there there i redshirted my first year and we had a down year um we were they were like four and you know four and 23 i was just sitting on the bench like wow this is crazy so then i ended up going to uh you know we ended up that following year everyone like people were transferring in transferring out it became kind of a mess and the 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 coach was kind of like trying to get control of the team because he had just taken over. So he wanted to kind of establish things his way. Hmm. So what he did was he just ended up having these uh, sprints and he was like, anytime we screwed up, which happened a lot because we're an undisciplined team. We had a bunch of freshmen and then our, even our upper class kids who have gone through this losing season, they were like, whatever. Hmm. So we had a bad situation. So the coach to gain control was like, listen, if you screw up, if you don't go to class, if you're late for class, if all these different stipulations, if you're late for practice, we're getting up and running at six in the morning. And we ran at six in the morning in that preseason probably like 30 times because kids oh. kept, kept screwing up. But at the same time, it taught us to be like a more disciplined team. So about that year, we went on and like had a successful first year. I think we were like, you know, right around the 500 mark which is like out of way above where we were and then the following year the, the discipline freshmen were coming in messing around same thing and that's the year we went to the NCAA tournament because uh-huh. I think we just really established that like we need to do this because I don't feel like getting up at six in the morning and we got up at six in the morning so many times but it was like a bonding experience we'd all be pissed off we'd get there and then we'd just start running and by the time we were done it was like this sense of accomplishment we'd all go eat together and it almost brought us closer together coach Calloway knew what he was doing when he did that I mean it stunk and I hated it I would never want to repeat it again in my life but it was definitely uh, <laughs> uh and, and then I mean, how how do you like avoid, or maybe that's part of it, is just like being so ticked off at that at that one teammate, and just like anger and oh, yeah. ire towards him. Yeah, and it was there's like the times when it was the same teammate, like kind of uh. over and over again. <laughs> so you definitely were mad. Um, there was one guy who was like an upperclassman. You were kind of mad at him, but you also like he was kind of your leader, so you were like respected uh, him and you were uh. friends with him. So it was like kind of tough. But like once the younger guys started messing up, when I think, you know, my sophomore year, that's when I was just like, I was getting mad and starting to develop that leadership role to be like, yo, I'm not doing this again. Uh-huh. So you better figure it out or like uh-huh. you get off this team because I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> So, I mean, so you got to play against like an NBA starting five with, within the NCAA tournament. The team kept getting better. You made it. You were 16 seed against number one seed Duke. Yeah. Um, and you talked about how, for the most part, you were just like, man, I'm just going to kind of, you know, it's going to have fun with this. Yeah. But like, tell me about that team. Like that, like Shane Battier, who, you remember how much Dick Vitale loved, 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 oh. loved Shane Battier? They were all like, they were, I, it was funny. Like the, my first experience like really i knew battier was good he was strong he was quick 
you knew that Jason Williams, Jay Williams is good. Um, like you, I've seen these guys play, I've watched them, but I kind of expected them. The guy who shocked me, not that shocked me, but like really showed me like, wow, this is the real deal was Mike Dunleavy. Hmm. Now Dunleavy like caught the ball and I had to go out because that was like my responsibility. Uh, we played a matchup zone. I ran out. Uh, he was kind of on the wing. I had to go out and step out and guard him. Now, I've been used to guarding fast, quick guys, like guys who were quicker than me the, the whole, my whole career. But he was like tall too. So he goes out and he just like gave me like a, a little shoulder shrug and like jabbed at me and immediately just buried a three. And I just remember being like, what in the world was that? Like that was my first experience where I was like, I, this guy is like the real deal. I, that was like the, my welcome, welcome to it moment. Yeah. Cause he was, he was legit and he, he shook me and like buried that three. And I've never seen someone like even move like that. I was just like, oh. that was crazy. That was that. This is why he's who he is. And hmm. I'm where I am. <laughs> you talk about going viral. You probably would have gone viral with you. Was it like the press conference? You said something like, Oh, I guess I'm garden Batty. Yeah. yeah. That would have, it was funny because we had a few good sound bites that we have on our highlight tape. Like my first was, kind of, was just like over here, like I'm right here. I was like, it was just so because we just sat there and I was like, uh, I guess that's me. I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one guarding. So people were laughing. Uh, our coach also said a good one when he said he's like, I, I think the uh, he's like, they have the winner of the Mama Duke. Uh, game winning this whole thing so and i was like that's a, uh, that was a great, great line when you're like duke was favored to win it so like the winner of that game is probably going to win the ncaa tournament i was like that's a great line right there that's like that's like i forget who the teammate was saying that he always talked about there was a night that him and will chamberlain combined for 101 points you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so your senior year your senior year off season i mean all, all this you know rang true again someone who never played past high school but like you know, you train, you train, you train, you train, mm -hmm. you get your sleep, you eat this meal three hours before you recover. So you talked about how senior offseason, you're kind of like, shoot, I'm going to eat some fatty foods, drink a little bit. Like oh, yeah. I haven't been able to do. Um, did that set you back like a big time or was it something you were able to recover from pretty quickly? I was able to recover from it. I was young enough. I was able to recover yeah. from it. But it was it definitely uh, like because I was like I was, a you know, a recruit. Uh, but I wasn't invited to like Portsmouth or anything like that. Like, mm -hmm. so like at that time, that's like the, it was pretty much, you were going to an exposure camp or you were going to one like either Portsmouth or there was like three of them. And if you weren't the top, you know, 70 recruits in the nation, you weren't, you were just to your own devices and mm -hmm. going to an exposure camp. Hopefully, hopefully you can, you know, find a, find a way into a team. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't one of those, so I didn't go to those camps. Uh, yeah. So I was like, not that highly touted of a, of a player. So I ended up like having to go to the exposure uh, camp route, but that was like something, I mean, I feel like you, you go for so many years of just trying and trying and trying. And it was just like, you you just wanted a break like i just mm -hmm. felt like i was getting burned out so and it was senior year and like it was like all my friends were like they played my friends played baseball and they ran track and stuff but they would still like we would still mix in parties but like my baseball friends like they could party during the season because they were like baseball players yeah. like they just they were good like my roommates set the record for most home runs in like you know the school history hmm. so they were they were definitely legit so we had this talented group, but they all just were like partying. So I, was, I never got to experience that. So I was like, you know what? 
I'm going after this. I'm partying. <laughs> and that's what I did. And I, but I was able to recover and kind of back in time. But I think my coaches were kind of, they were pissed. They were like, dude, you need to get it together because you're looking out of shape and you have a, you have work ahead of you. And I was kind of like, open my eyes, like, oh, I better, I better pick this up. Yeah. I, l- I love through the book how there's, there are a lot of points where your, your brother is your, uh, your motivator, right? couple years older sounds like you know kind of different personalities but a great love obviously between the two and uh he was you know motivating you for i guess it was the d league at the time right yeah it was the d league then right and you talked about like going through some of these tryouts and, and later on in the book like you you talk about like reggie evans who you know nba fans will remember and like later on like the whole like Jordan mentality being the the main you know the top dog and then like the Rodman mentality um but I wonder what like playing against like a Reggie Evans not not playing against a Reggie Evans but playing against Reggie Evans specifically taught you no I mean Reggie was like I think people don't realize how good uh NBA players are Hmm. and Reggie was like a a dynamic defensive player like he was brought in like it's I he's like a Marcus Smart like that was his thing like Marcus if a guard went into training camp and they're like my job like you have this great career ahead of you and you're like you go into the job as like okay I'm going to go in and now you're getting covered by Marcus Smart who as we all know, doesn't take like d- days off. So like Reggie yeah. doesn't take days off. So like you can go in and play against like, you know, if I, if there was another guy guarding me who was kind of like, all right, we're, we're here. Like it's, it's not, you know, let's just get myself in shape. Let's get myself not injured. But instead it was not like Reggie was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to dominate every possession and I'm going to like guard you like this is the, the playoffs. So it's one of those things where if you think about like, if, if there was someone else guarding me, like my career could have been different, but that's yeah. like, it also teaches you a lesson. Like this is who, this is who Reggie Evans is. This is who the NBA is. And they will yeah. play every game. Like it's like their last. And I think that's like something so powerful to have these athletes see that like, you got to play every day. Like right. you're Marcus part of Reggie Evans. Right. And so was, so Poland was your first overseas. Is that right? Yeah, so I stopped in Poland. Uh, the money dried up. Uh, that was like a weird thing because I was there and you had all these guys and they're like, yeah, you're, you're, you know, this is great. Like you're, you're killing it. Mm-hmm. And I was doing well. We do like ridiculous workouts. Like we used to just, we, I remember like going out and I was like, what am I, where is this? Like we went out and I got there and like we're before practice we would just go and like run in this field. It wasn't even like a, a track or anything. It was just like a, a patch of grass, like a park. And we would just run around it a bunch of times. And I remember just running and being like, okay, this is abnormal. This is weird, but I guess this is what we're doing right now. And that was just like a strange experience for me to kind of like, just you were just running in circles. And that was like my first experience of overseas basketball. And then you know, you're playing and you're scrimmaging and you're, you're, you're playing some like your preseason games and then you're just like waiting for paychecks and they just never showed up. Oh, um, and it was me and this other guy, Albert Morning, who had a great career at UConn. Uh-huh. And it was like we were both in the same office and they're like, okay, we're getting rid of both of you. And then like back then you didn't really know what was going on. And then you find out like years later that they did this all year long. They would bring guys in 
keep them, pay them just the bare minimum to keep them, to get them to stay. And then they'd ship them out. And that was just the, what happened over and over and over again. You've, uh, but you came back in glory. There was a, 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 your family was giving away the award. Um, so your grandpa was the manager for the Phillies. Yeah, he was the he was the general manager from like the set late seventies into like eighty three. So when oh, they won man. the World Series, he was the manager. They call him the Pope. He was the Phillies general manager, and he had this you know great reputation. When he ended up like general managing, and he took over in eighty three. Like he he was pissed that the manager was like not <laughs> doing good enough, so he fired the manager and took over as manager. And then ended up managing and getting him to the World Series again in 83. And then Whoa. managed in 84. And then was like, I, it was like just too much. And he was like, all right, I'm going to step back. And he yeah. became, stepped back and like became like vice president. And he stayed in that role or like, you know, a higher up role until pretty much when he passed away, he was still really heavily involved in the organization. Wow. So after he passed away, we started presenting this award every year in his honor to the top minor league players and like both uh, like the top minor league pitcher and the top minor league batter. And that was something that was like a, a cool experience. So we, I go back and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to really dapper myself up for this. I'm going to look great. <laughs> I didn't own a suit. Uh, and I got the suit. It was ridiculously terrible. Uh, <laughs> they dressed me like they dressed me. Like I looked ridiculous. And I, I, I was like, I, did they just expect, like, is that, was that the style? But I feel like when I look back at like LeBron's draft year, like, yeah, I think it was around that, yeah, it's like around that same time or like a two, yeah, like a two years later. So like those suits weren't that all that ridiculous then. Uh-huh. But like, when you look at them now, you're like, I can't believe that's what I look like. But I knew even then I was like, this looks stupid. I can't believe this. <laughs> I was, and I remember just being like so embarrassed, but I was like, whatever, I'm just going to suck it up and deal with it. Well, you had a great, what makes your book great, you know, you're not afraid to poke fun yourself. And uh, you had the great Large Marge from Pee Wee's reference. That was awesome. And then, you know, the Player Haters Ball, right, from Chappelle. Yeah, the Player Haters Ball, yeah, that was. They would have you know, they they clowned on that suit, huh? They would have They would have definitely not liked that. That was like a Dave Chappelle special. because That's what I was thinking was just like, I would, if I walked into the Player Haters Ball right now, I would be like, they would be like, yep. Like you, this is, this is you, you're good. Like I did, I looked, it was like a, like very pimpish and it was just a weird, uh, it was just a weird experience altogether. And I just, it's, it's one of the things that got me, not that I'm saying I'm a stylish, like very stylish male, but I have, I've established what I am as a, as, as a dresser, like I've established uh-huh. my style. And I think that's something that I've kind of taken with me from that experience of being like, I didn't know what I, what I was supposed to look like. I'm just like wearing whatever anyone else tells me to wear. (laughs) And then it's like, I kind of started looking at things and being like, this is how I'm going to dress. This is how I'm going to act. Yeah. So, you know, the next two stops were one of the high points, if not the high point in Australia. And then the low point, if not the lowest point in South Korea, Yeah. South, South Korea, you were, you know, you had the injury that they totally denied yeah, it's just a mess. But Australia sounds like it was uh, they love their their players and they treat people well. And you said you just, the Australian people really just enjoy it, huh? They did. Um, it's the most NBA like experience I've hmm. had uh, in terms of like the fans or like NBA fans. They they showed up to the games. They cheered. They were loved their team. Mm-hmm. They were pumped. But, um, you know, there was like a civil 
and you could also you would see them in the street and they'd be like come up to you and it wasn't the fame overseas is not the, the same as the fame here like if anyone saw uh like an nba player even like a minor nba player but if you saw like an nba all-star in the street people would be like swarming there like sure. they would get swarmed like my brother was in training camp with uh lebron his rookie year and so mm. has all these stories about how uh they used to sneak lebron they would go to the movies and like jeff would have to go buy the tickets and then like lebron would have mm. to sneak around the side and get in and like oh. it, because it was just like a madness like people would swarm it's just not like that over there so australians were cool they were chill it was a great atmosphere like i lived i mean my my, I couldn't have asked for a better situation because I was on a resort. The resort was like, because I lived in Cairns, which is like a, a resort town. It's like beautiful. So I lived in this r- ridiculously nice resort. I overlooked my balcony, overlooked a golf course. And then like a, a, if you walk down a little bit, you would be able to see, like if you're on the higher ground, you'd be able to see, because I was about a mile from the beach, but you'd be able to see like the, you know, the, the water and the Great Barrier Reef um it was just beautiful and i just like the there was like the grotto kind of pool that we that was like in my resort they used to swim in all the time i was like Mm. this is like paradise so i was on (laughs) vacation when i wasn't playing like every day was like a vacation and we explored we would go to the rainforest we'd go snorkeling we we, i explored i like definitely was a tourist so i treated it like i was a basketball player my when i was a basketball player i was a basketball player and i treated it very I took it very seriously. I gave it my all. But when I had my free time, I was a tourist. Like I was on mm. vacation. I think that's something when you're, when you're happy as a player, you're going to play better. And I, like, I look at Al Horford um, and just what he's done hmm. with the Celtics and he's happy in Boston. He loves it there. That's where he wants to be. Right. And you can see when he's playing better, like he, he wasn't the same player when he's in a situation where he's not happy. Hmm. And I know that's like kind of like babyish, but, that's why LeBron went to Miami and that's why LeBron went to LA. Like he's, hmm. he's, he, he want you want to have like both sides because if you're in a place where you're just completely unhappy and they're like, this stinks the whole time. Like, why would you want to play in there? It's, you're not going to give it your all. You're not going to have your same mindset as if you were like, you walk out and everything around you, you're in a happy mode. And I think sure. that's like what people kind of get mad about because they look at their city, but like you look at a city, like, I don't, like even like Cleveland or something where it's it's tough to draw a big player into some of these cities because mm. there's just like not enough to, it's not as exciting but like Miami doesn't have problems getting players no. near LA no. it's no. like it's pretty easy to get a player in there exactly well then you know you have the other juxt- another juxtaposition with New Zealand the land of you know Stephen Adams and yeah. uh you know sound very similar to Australia um with, with some great with some really cool teammates and all that and some hard drinking teammates. And then there's, oh yeah, then there's Albania. Yeah. Which is what I've heard of. Like maybe like, uh, like Greece and some of the Balkans, right. Where like, it's, yep. I mean, flares, where do you get a, where do you get a flare? They just sell flares like specifically for basketball games. I did must. I, I, that's like a really good question. I think that's you just, that's the first time I've ever thought about like where we buy the flares. You know, like, where do you, because I feel like a concession stand at like a normal United States, there's just, it's like hamburgers, t-shirts, things that yeah. I, I was like, is there, is there something where they're just that like, you can buy them like outside? Because there were a ton of them everywhere. Like people had them setting off everywhere. And it's funny because when you look at Kevin Durant and he went to uh, 
Greece to watch Olympiacos Monaco when he went to watch um, you know, Mike James. And he kind of got that experience firsthand because he's like, wow, I can't believe there's like they're setting off flares in the stand. And for me and for overseas guys, it's pretty normal um, to see the flares in the stands. You're kind of like, all right, they're just lighting flares. That's like they're excited. It's a very big soccer thing. Okay. Um, but the, when they start flying down, that's what separates like, you know, that's what separates the big time teams from like the teams that are a little lower because those fans will like, you know, there's consequences. If fans are throwing flares in the court and you're in EuroLeague, you can get like consequences. You can be banned. So the fans yeah. know not to do that. Right. In these small town places, they're like, whatever, just let them fly. And <laughs> there's nothing really anyone would do. Like the, the fans weren't even getting kicked out. Like they were throwing flares, they were throwing coins. And like the, the police were just like, please stop. Okay, the game can continue. And it's just like fans weren't getting ejected. It was just like, here, throw another one. Like it's, just, it's like lawless. So you just, you can learn to play in that system. But uh, Kosovo was fun. And I think it's like one of those things when you, it's like a, there's a few rite of passages you have to go through to play overseas basketball. I think you need to not be paid. You need to have mm-hmm. missed paychecks. Uh, you need to deal with fans that are throwing stuff at you. Um, you need to deal with like weird language barrier situations. Sure, sure. Um, and those are like some of the, some of the, those like badges of honor you wear. Uh-huh. And if I was like, it, it, like you have the, the boy scouts where they have all the badges, like my badge would be filled because I've experienced all of them, which is why I think the book, when I wrote the book, I was like, I've experienced all of these crazy things. I've experienced the yeah. good, the bad and the ugly. And I think that's why I was like, I need to put these down because I've had all the badges of honor Mm -hmm. to play overseas basketball. I've done it all. I've been to all these crazy places. I've been to the best places. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what makes it such a unique story. No doubt. No doubt. We, yeah, we love hearing. I mean, it's it's so great to read about so many different stories, like you said, and my bad on the geography, I should know better, right? It was Kosovo with talking about the Albanian population there, but not, not Kosovo. Albanian people, Kosovo. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's pretty much Albania, you know, Yeah, yeah, yeah they've separated and they're they're albanian they, those sure. people you know kosovo there yeah. they almost like they identify as albanian so yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. kind of like in that albanian like area <laughs> right, right right but yeah i mean to, to to read about some of the great one the the great times but also you know like you go out drinking with some of the teammates uh-huh. you, know, you know and then you're you know you're literally out to what three or four in the morning and you're lifting weights the next day yeah, it was, and I think that's and it, like it's it's funny because I do think when you play overseas, like there's there's also like a few mindsets. There's the guy who's um, first time overseas, like terrified. You're mm-hmm. scared. You don't really understand what's happening. You're like, what is all this? This is new. You're eye open. You're wide eyed the whole time. I've been there. Then there's the guy who's trying to get back to the league, who's trying to get back to America, who's like, I'm using this as a stepping stone. I am going back going back to America. I'm going to play. And then there's the vet, who, which I was at one time too. And then there's the vet who's kind of like, I'm not getting back to the NBA. Like, I know this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my career. I'm going to bounce around. And now I'm going to enjoy it. And I think that's what I was towards the end of my career. I was huh. like, I'm you know, I know I'm not, I'm not making it back to the league, but I can make a, make myself a good career playing over here and I'm going to enjoy it. So not that I didn't give everything because when I play, I always gave everything I had. Um, and I, I did take care of my body, but it was like one of those things where I was like, I'm also going to enjoy this. Like, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to live my life um, where I'm just like, I can't ever have fun. Like I wonder it's, I always say like life is a balance. Like you have to be able to balance the good and the bad. You have to be able to balance. Like even when I eat and, uh, and diet now, I have friends who don't diet at all and they're overweight. And I have friends that are, you know, don't eat anything and they're like yeah. trying to be shredded and stuff like that. And I'm like, I just want to be in the middle. Like I want to uh. be, I, I have a balance in my life where I can't just go through and just be like, I'm not going to enjoy this because I'm like starving myself or anything like that. But I'm also right. not going to like, just enjoy too much. Like I'm going to yeah. keep that back in my life. And I think that's what's kept me grounded all these years. What comes to mind when you think of like, what was the best cuisine of any of the foreign? Oh, it's, it's crazy because there's two. Uh, there is, um, Burek, which was the, oh, yeah. about that in the book, like the, the food, it was like <laughs> breakfast food. It's like this little, it's like flaky pastry, kind of like a croissant, uh, but there was like meat inside and it was fried and it was just, it was so good. And there was mm. like this long, long, um, like roll of it. And that I really enjoyed. Um, I did, I, there's always like like street food i liked a lot like when i would walk the streets and stuff and they would just be like a like the restaurants were good and i always enjoyed those mm -hmm. but like i loved the little like street gyros or like the you yeah. know the, like that that you would see on the side of the street and like guys like shaving meat uh down right. and like you know, making these making these little sandwiches and stuff uh and putting these, these weird sauces on it and you're kind of like and putting fries in it and you're like all right i guess this is something i'll try and it's just it's like you can't replicate that taste in fact it's funny because i have a um i'm doing this series which we just shot the first episode um and okay. it's going to be like going to places in america that have foreign food and like almost as an experienced person who's eaten foreign food be like hey i'm gonna ah. try like so i'm trying this food that americans make that immigrants uh, uh -huh. who came in america like open restaurants and i'm gonna be like let's see if this tastes as authentic as it does over there so huh. i've eaten a lot of cool things uh you know in australia i've eaten like random weird things i've eaten <laughs> you know there's been like crocodile Ooh. eel um emu mm. kangaroo like I've, there's just like snakes, like I've eaten such weird things, but I was, it was one of those things where the Australians are like, here, try this. And you're like, what is it? And they're like, don't worry about it. So I would just try it. And they'd be like, that's crocodile. And I'd be like, that's weird, but whatever. I guess I, tried crocodile. I, guess I can, you know, 20 years from now, go on a podcast and be like, I eat crocodile. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So as, as your career wound down, you know, Estonia was the last stop. Yep. And so you were, you were then, you, know, you then transitioned into, you had a blog at the time. You had yeah. the, the blog that became, you know, I guess eventually became this book, became mm -hmm. the overseas famous, the website. Like, did you see that as like an exit strategy type of thing? Or was it just like, oh, this is fun. We'll see it was, where it goes. It, it was more fun. Like I started it because I had gotten hurt in korea and i had to uh and i came back and and played in new zealand and like i played that season but my knee wasn't like still right so i went back and did more rehab and was contemplating getting surgery because my my knee was still 
like really it was it was bothering me a lot in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And when I started kind of getting back into the the swing of things, uh, you know, I I had passed on a few jobs. There was like some opportunities, but I was just like, I'm just my I'm, I don't want to go there and stink. Like I felt like I went to New Zealand and I wasn't ready, mm-hmm. and I played well. But like some of these jobs I was up for are like in pretty good leagues. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm if I can go and give my all. I'm just going to get, you know, sent back home. So I was like, let me rehab. Let me fix it. So I kind of did that for a little bit. And then as it kind of got better and I was like ready, there was like it was the middle. It was like that November time frame. So a lot of teams had already had their players. So I started a blog called Waiting for Go Dunk. And it was like a play on Waiting for Go and it was like uh, I was waiting to go play. Like I kind of my knee was better. I was like working out and stuff, but I was waiting for a job. So that was like a weird thing because I was just constantly training and training like it was the summer. But like, you know, there's no job. So I had to kind of wait a few months uh, until, you know, the job came, you know, opened up. And then I went, but I started the blog is waiting for Godunk and I was telling just random stories from my career. And then it got picked up by this guy, Don Povia, who wrote this hugging Harold Reynolds Mm. and his blog had like a huge network. And when I started posting blogs to their slam magazine, picked me up and they were like, so I started writing there. And then from there, uh, like I was getting like picked up by and like syndicated on like ESPN and Fox and stuff. So I had like this pretty decent sized blog but then it's like then i went back and played and i kind of was like all right like i guess i'm done that for the and i gave all my attention to playing yeah and then it was like kind of the same thing like i just it's like you're just you're you're playing and you're not giving as much so i kind of went to estonia and i was like writing and stuff and that's when like things were really taking off and i think like i knew it was my last game but i also like when i was writing i was just like i it wasn't like I was like, I'm going to use this writing to, to build my career. I didn't know any better. I was just kind of like, all right, let me, uh, this is fun. I'm doing it. But when I'm done playing, like no one's going to want to hear what I have to say. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like took that mindset. And when I retired, I like did some writing, but it was like supplemental. Like I was never like yeah. a full writer. So I was the, in the meantime, I was trying to find a job. So I kind of like pushed it to the back burner because I had to find a job. And then I started getting back into it. Now it's like, if I knew then I would have like pushed harder because the mm-hmm. internet age, I, I was like on the cutting edge. Like I was like the, one of the first people on Twitter. Like I had all these mm. building following and stuff like that. And if I just stayed with it, I, it would have been great, but I kind of was looking for other things and trying to find a job elsewhere. So it was a little frustrating. Man, you know, full, full circle, right? Full circle. You go from uh, reading slam magazine and I don't know, did your blog end up like, like page by page next to like the, the strength shoes, you know, advertisements. Yeah. You know? They, that's, they should, if those things, yeah, they, they should have just put the, the right? strength shoes. Are so ridiculous. And I don't, <laughs> it's so funny. Cause I've talked to so many people about strength shoes and I'm like, do they work? Like, I don't know. You were you supposed to run like sprint with them or probably yeah, not? Th- there, there was like all these weird things like, and back then, you know, everything, you open this, unfold this little piece of paper oh, and there's yeah. oh, 57 yeah. exercises on it. And it's like, <laughs> do this, do this. So there's jumping, there's running, there was supposed to be like karaoke, but yeah. they were huge and they were so big. And like, I would, I remember I tri- like tripping all over them and stuff because I was already uncoordinated. And then you add like, you know, seven inches of, of, of diameter to my yeah. feet. Like now it's going to be even more goofy. 
So I definitely understood why the my neighbor probably thought I was there's something wrong with me they because must, I think there was. <laughs> they must have had like they must have had lawsuits or something to put them out of business, right? For just so many people getting injured. They, like they had to. Like people getting injured or just like yeah, like no, really. I guess they would make your calves better, but it's because you're constantly on your toes. Like I guess yeah. that's the science behind it. You're just like constantly yeah. on your toes. So that's supposed to strengthen your calves. So like yes. There definitely is science behind it, but I definitely think, yeah, like people getting injured mm-hmm. and just because it wasn't, they weren't very supportive. They were like low tops. No. Oh and, man. Yeah. It's, like it's more like wearing chucks or something like that. You know? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they probably broke it one time and I stopped wearing them. I, don't yeah. know. I, 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 just, I wore them very few times, like very few times, but I, <laughs> maybe I can sue them retroactively because I, I ruptured my Achilles in 2011. Oh, you know, maybe, yeah, that it was, was... maybe it's related. It was a, I'm not going to brag, but it was a game winning shot, but you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no one within five feet of me and I don't jump very high, but anyways. Well, um, I would like to see, like, yeah, contri- go through the, all the, the, my knee and be like, did strength shoes contribute to yeah. my knee? There'd be a lot of stuff I would have to prove. And I don't lot, think I, yeah. <laughs> a lot of metadata. <laughs> and I don't, I don't even think strength, strength shoes, like the person who invented strength shoes probably doesn't even have any money anymore. So like, Yes. Me spending all the time trying to retroactively figure it out. Yeah, be like, yeah, yeah. Here, here's a pen. You'd be like, all right, I, thanks. Yeah, I don't want to exactly. I don't want to put that person on the street, man. <laughs> you, uh, you end the book with a couple, you know, with like some lessons and really interesting. I thought it was really like emblematic of just your career and your stories. You're talking to a guy like maybe like in a Seven Eleven or something like that, uh-huh. and you know, just about like what was it like. And you end you end by telling them, quote, maybe the other athletes just told you what you wanted to hear. Yeah. You maybe talk, think- talk a little bit about the that that mindset and what you kind of talked about, just kind of overall with your your time as a as an athlete. Overseas. No, I totally agree. I think um, I'm a very honest person. I feel like that what you see is what you get with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people will kind of, you know, sugarcoat things and they'll be like, oh, you know, this is this, this is this and this is this. And not that uh, I always say, like, you know, as an athlete, you're going to experience negative things. And I think people look at you as like, you should be this higher than now grateful person because mm. you are have the ability. But I always compare it to like any other job. Like, are there times when you hate your job? Sure. Mm. Are there times when things go crazy in your job? Yeah. And mm. like, I think that's that's something that people are just like, they think that because you play basketball, you shouldn't have this realism to like, you know, this, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. There's a lot of things that happen that are crazy Hmm. and wild, but I am super grateful. But I think like when you look at all these different things, I think that was like one of the things that you just, there's so many things that occur uh, within basketball that, could be upsetting that could be something that really could you know be detrimental to your health detrimental to Hmm. your your psyche and things like that but because you're this high level athlete because people look at you as this higher than now thou i said now uh (laughs) you you have this you're supposed to just smile and dribble and just you know not complain or anything like that because people would love to be in your shoes Hmm. so i always compare when it becomes a job there's going to be ups and downs and in order to kind of have those to to love life and to to mentally be able to get through it you have to be able to express those ups and downs so when people ask me what was overseas basketball like 
I would be like, it was great and awful at the same time. Like mm. there's the, you're going to experience good. You're going to make experience bad. So just like any other job, there's things that you love and there's things that you hate. And I think that's when people are expecting you to be like, it was the greatest thing in the world. I was so honored. I was blessed, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And in reality, you're kind of like, listen, like I went, you know, I went through some crazy things that, you know, affected me. I mean, I like even how I walk today. I like to, when, when I stand up from this interview, I'm going to limp down the hall because it's just my knees. That's what my knee has turned into. And I'm 41 years old. And you're kind of like, I wish, you know, I had a working knee and things like that. But it's just you take the good with the bad. And I was I definitely am grateful for everything that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely I definitely have learned from the negatives. Uh, but there were negatives. But I think that's like when people expect you to just kind of tell you like this, this fairy tale story that right. everything's just perfect. And, you know, you're living this dream. It's not reality. And I try to, to, to stay within reality. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I mean, you talk about being a balanced person. I pre- appreciate the, the buts, right? Like it was great, yeah. but it was great, but, <laughs> and, but, but, you know, makes uh-huh. a lot of sense. You talk about like the, uh, the literal and figurative tattoos, right? Oh yeah. Um, as like a, as like a symbolism. I mean, you, you have tattoos from almost, almost all the stops you had. Yeah. So, um, it's funny. Cause I always like tattoos. I always love tattoos. I wanted tattoos my whole life. I thought they would make you cool. Like mm-hmm. I looked at people, you know, who had tattoos like in the eighties and you're like, Whoa, that guy's so cool. Yeah. Um, and so I was always like, Oh, like to be cool, you, you have to get tattoos <laughs> and stuff. And, uh, when I really, when you went, go to play all these different places, especially New Zealand and you see, but like, you know, my family was, you know, it's just like, we don't get tattoos, blah, 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 no tattoos, blah, blah, blah. So I just uh, ended up kind of going to New Zealand. And when I was there, you really learn a lot about like the, you know, the spiritual, the, the, the uh, different journeys that tattoos represent and mm-hmm. like tattoos are a journey. They're not, um, they're like an expression of your journey. They're not like some, something you just put on your body to look cool. And that was like the really eye opening. So I started designing it just being like, I want a representation of every place that I played. Hmm. Um, so I got, you know, the, the Australian stars, I have the, you know, six stars of Kosovo, I have like perseverance in Korean. Hmm. I have, uh, the star for the, uh, I have the New Zealand whole tribal, um, that's like actually tells a story of like, you know, courage and like not having courage in the beginning and growing into having courage. Uh, mm, the stars sure. from Roanoke, uh, my number 15, I have like, uh, Malima, uh, Rashia, which is uh, world traveler in Estonian. Mm. So I, I fear I would have all of these different things and represent me and I would put it on my arm. And I think that was like one of those things where you, you're kind of like, should I do this? This is like going to be there forever. And I think there's like a permanence to it that was like uh, freeing for me. So I think mm. I just, that was like a, an experience where I, I felt like I, I'd lived this life. Like, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And then I was like, you know what? This is me. This is who I am. And I'm going to be who I am. And I think it was an expression of who I am and expression of my journey. And I think it's, it's definitely gotten a lot of people be like, Oh, I like that. Like, what is that? Dude, where do where, who did that? And I, it's just, you know, it was a, it was a growth into something. Now, now it's kind of become like I have tattoo for my daughter, uh, you know, like tattoos, like representing different things in my life, but they are all mean something to me. So I feel like I've grown with tattoos 
Like, I'm never going to be the guy that's, like, completely covered in tattoos, but I'll get mm. a few more in there. But I do think that they kind of tell your tell your story. And I think if you use tattoos in that way to tell a story, it's like the book. Like, it, it tells a story, but now I get to wear that book on my sleeve every yeah. single day. And it's like people get to ask me about it. And, yeah. You know, it takes away from the uh, how tall are you questions. That I get. <laughs> it's another question that they can ask. So. You know, it, it adds another 10 minutes of my time when, uh, when someone's asking me how tall I am and then they ask about the tattoos and, you know, why my beard's getting gray. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, uh, I mean, some of the, some of the books by ex-athletes have either been like heavy on like the X's and O's or heavy on the like, oh, like I was never any good. Ha ha. Like making fun, making fun. Like yours is a great yeah. balance. Yours is a great balance of like, basketball yeah. basketball and i wanted to make the all jersey team all south jersey team and i played here and i learned about the post move with the you know the forearm in the back yeah let go and the you know elbow to hand and this and that and also just you know also some great and hilarious stories and and some deep ones and all that so just a great balance the book is awesome it's so fun to read where Thank you. you know it's, it's still out there where do you like do you have any like favorite places we recommend like local places to buy it from and also, tell I think, us a little, sorry, tell oh, us a little bit about, what, about what's coming up too with like, with Overseas Famous, just like the website and the organization and all that. Absolutely. So yeah, you can buy it on Amazon. I think that's like, when I started this whole process and I'm like, okay, where am I publishing it? Every person I talked to was like, just publish it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes and Noble and there's local Barnes and Nobles in my area that, that have it. But I think like Amazon almost became the easiest just because, uh, Every, every publisher, you know, you're going to get money taken away and stuff like that. But Amazon just seems like for the average person, it's the mm -hmm. easiest for them to just go on, click it, and it's there in two days. Like, yeah. it's just, yeah. it's part of this whole, gen, you know, new new age where, like, people can click it and it's, it's like, instantly there. You can get mm -hmm. it in two days. And I think that was one of those things where I just was like, all right, a lot of people I talked to were like, put it on Amazon. So that's where I did. I put it on some Barnes & Noble stores as well, uh, some local bookstores. Um, but yeah, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, it's on barnesandnoble.com as well. But uh, as for Overseas Famous, um, so we are transitioning. We've been doing a blog, uh, doing the podcast, and we were. We wanted to be the voice for overseas athletes, and I think that's something we're continuing to do. Um, the one thing that we are expanding on is, uh, like I talked about before, when I retired, I think the one thing that, that I felt like I didn't have was like a grasp of what I really wanted. I mean, I'd spent 10, you know, 10 years professionally. I'd spent, you know, five years in college, four years before that in high school. Hmm. So when you kind of add up those, like, you know, nearly 20 years of your life that you're playing basketball, um, you're, you don't really know anything else. And you kind of have like, you know, what am I going to do? What can I do? And this is hmm. before social media where like people, there's more of a network and a connection. Uh, so I think that the most difficult thing was I just struggled with like, what did I want to do? Where do I want to go? What is, mm. what is my next step? And I kind of became a teacher because that's what my parents did. Um, so what we've decided to do with Overseas Famous is we've taken this uh, approach where there's no unions. Uh, there's a EuroLeague union, but there's no real unions to help players. Like, so mm. like if you get like when I, all the stories that I have had in the book about not getting paid, I'm there's no way I can ever get that money back because if I had to get it back, it would be tried in a, in a uh, international court and it would be a difficult situation. What we're trying to do 
is build things where we're we're working with and collaborating with other organizations as well to kind of like you know build up a an overseas union for like the little guys like for All the right. guys that because the euro league i think you know those guys are getting paid millions of dollars so they're going to get their money if mm-hmm. they don't get their money they're going somewhere else and they'll get sure. paid just like there's no you're not going to deal with that with the the teams with like a huge budget and things sure. like that however the smaller guys are the ones who are you know not going to get paid and there's nothing you can really do they're just like well go go ahead find another job like it's just yeah. it's it's a difficult situation so we're trying to you know unionize uh and then we have a post-career um post-career program so we have you know it's a subscription uh you pay like a due like your dues per month kind of like union dues but what we do is we set you up with uh a network of people we have mastermind classes we have uh, mentorships so like every month you'll have you'll be involved in a mastermind class uh where you're where you're sitting with other guys networking talking communicating figuring things out you also have a, a mentorship uh per month and on top of that we have access to you know mental health experts who are all part of our wow. network um we have um career advisors we have resume builders uh we have branding experts um we have continuing education uh people so i've spent like three years building this huge network of people Hmm. and now we're about ready to launch where uh we have all of these different community like people who are there to build up your your network so i felt like because when you leave the country and you're gone for a long period of time it's very difficult to to regain uh, that network, uh, because you're out of sight, out of mind. Hmm. So we have guys, you know, even for players who are starting right now to be like, Hey, we want to build up this brand. So when you're playing overseas, you have this huge brand that like people are contributing to people know who you are, and then you can kind of build up from there. And that's what we're trying to do is build up the brand, have these guys have this successful, uh, brand when they come home and this huge network of, of, you know people that it's not going to be difficult to find work it's not going to be difficult to find opportunities uh, we also have uh it's funny we have like acting like i have a connection with um like this talent agency who mm. who uh this one guy is now doing a, a movie in puerto rico right now he's dressed like a werewolf he just sent uh. me a picture so like <laughs> we have all these connections with like you know the the movies and and hollywood where like tall athletic people could really yeah could really clean up and get like jobs and stuff so it's pretty cool so we have all these i built this huge network and i just wanted to make sure it was perfect before i launched because i want to make sure that we can actually help people the best we can so my my goal is to use overseas famous to help overseas athletes when they retire to be able to uh not just fade away because athletes deal with so many things when they retire because if they don't you know your career is 10 years 15 years 20 years maybe if you're like at the top Hmm. um 20 years you, you live you know until you're 70 80 90 years old so those 20 years are over in your in your 40s you still have a whole lot of life left and if you don't know what to do with that and you don't know how to network that it's going to be a problem so that's where we come in and we try to build that network build that growth for you so you have a ton of opportunities man what a cool what a cool network of resources wow <laughs> i'm sure you're probably saying to yourself like i wish i would have had that when i I, that's the reason I started it because, because I was like, I wish something like this existed and I would have gladly paid, you know, like uh, thousands and thousands of dollars for that. We're not even charging that, but like mm. 
paid a lot if there was if I knew there was a way for me to connect with people who are looking for my specific skill set and you know help me out with all of these different things and like have access to someone who's a mental health expert helps access mm-hmm. to someone who could help me build a resume and give me job interview skills yeah have expert who, who who will help me brand myself so I'm like you know big deal like it's crazy I'm still branding myself now and now I'm starting mm-hmm. to kind of like talk to people about getting public speaking opportunities mm-hmm. and like these things never existed before I started branding myself and I didn't know how to do it until yeah. you know recently i started building this and talking with branding experts and stuff so it's wild like what it can the doors that this could open up when you really expand your network and you have this huge network of people who are helping willing to help you build you and uh get you successful in the next part of your life do you have a like a suit consultant i do so it's funny (laughs) i think i have uh I it's I like there's this there's this place in Philly that has like these these suits I wrote them and I was like they're like stretchy suits like the in the Uh commercial they're like legitimately doing aerobics in them and I'm like that's (laughs) what I need I need a suit that if I like do squats in it it's not gonna rip and they do it custom too so they they have Uh they have it in my size I'm like all right I'm gonna go to Philly again for the second time to buy a suit hopefully this one works out better than the first that's hilarious man (laughs) Well, thanks again for talking to me today. It's awesome. The book was uh, so much fun and so good and so interesting. Like I said, we're, you know, same generation. So a lot of the same references, but just like, you know, I always want to know what it's like for the one who's really, really good, but not NBA good. Yep. Right. And all yep. those, you know, playing overseas and being, you know, the, the big fish in the small pond and that kind of thing. That was awesome. Thanks for, yeah. for sharing your, your insights today. I appreciate it. Of course. It's like, uh, but like arrested development when you like huh. like he's you know the you got the guys that wear jean shorts the never nudes and <laughs> just like there's dozens of us so like i feel like that's what it is with overseas uh athletes who are kind of those fringe players there's dozens of us like we're, there's we're, there's there's a lot of athletes just like me uh who have that same story which is why i thought this would resonate so well because you have like this 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 huge network of guys and girls who have experienced the same thing and i think you know telling that story and being the storyteller for them yeah uh, was, was cool i think there's been that's the one thing uh like I, I know people always say like it's great when when uh writers and things like compliment you but the coolest thing was when i get written on like twitter oh, like guys yeah. Like the athletes write me and be like, you told this exactly what it is. Like you nailed it. And I think that was like, those are my biggest compliments from athletes, overseas athletes to be like, you told it exactly what it is. You said exactly mm-hmm. what this world is like. And I appreciate that. And I'm like, that's awesome. No better compliment, right? No better compliment. No and always, compliment. you know, the, play, the people, your peers, that's the best compliment. The guys who've done and girls who've done what you've done. That's, uh-huh. uh, those are the best compliments. Yeah. Well, I totally just, you know, wish you good luck personally and good luck with, uh, with the, with Overseas Famous and the business and the foundation, uh, the, you know, just the group and the network is the term I was looking for. Good luck to all of you. Thanks so much again. Well, thank you so much, Pete. I really appreciate having you having me on. This is a really fun time. Same for me. Thanks so much for listening to episode 126 with Kevin Owens. You can now subscribe and that's the Kevin Owens, by the way. Yeah, the Kevin Owens. (laughs) You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and please leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa. Find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. 
And uh, Kevin, my bad. Can you give a little social media, um, your social media contacts? Sure. Uh, you can follow me personally. I'm knockout2515 uh, on Instagram. Um, and then Overseas Famous uh, is the business on Instagram. Twitter, waiting for Go Dunk with, a, with a, yeah. the, the actual four. And then Overseas Famous as well uh, on, uh, on, on Twitter. So, yeah, those are kind of the Twitter fan. If you just type in Overseas Famous, it's way easier than typing in Kevin Owens. Because okay. when you type Overseas Famous, like, all my stuff pops up. When you type right. in Kevin Owens, you'll have to scramble through, like, you know, some, like, out-of-shape wrestler who's <laughs> all my name. So, you go the Overseas Famous route. <laughs> the Chills of Will podcast is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation. And I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental. And the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. And both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Although Busta, Busta Rhymes, holla at me. I'd love to have you as the official <laughs> song. Please tune in for episode 127 with Raina Kelly, who's the vice president and editor-in-chief of Anscape, which is formerly The Undefeated a black media platform dedicated to creating, highlighting, and uplifting the diverse stories of black identity. She's also a former deputy editor at ESPN, the magazine. And that episode will air on June 14th, which is my anniversary, by the way, our anniversary. For now, thanks again for listening. And I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Kevin Owens, whose work, like Overseas Famous, gives you laughs and chills at will. Thank you.